Hey, Billy, I'm wondering, have you been looking for a way to get better as a coach? Uh, always. That's good because you could do it by using GMS Plus. It's a great resource for courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Many of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmstead, Keegan Cook, John Spira, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson, have used it or are a part of it. They're also actually have been former guests, so you know they're good. Personally, I've learned a lot from Gold Medal Squared, as have many of our guests. So if you're looking to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. Get 20% off an annual subscription today. Go to goldmedalsquared.com backslash CYBO and enter CYBO. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO and enter coupon code CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. So it sounds like, you know, your practices would be really fun. There's doubles, there's spiking, there's small-sided games. What do you do for youth athletes when it's something that, you know, is part of the game, but more dull, like rotations? How do you make teaching rotations maybe fun, or how, how do you how do you implement it? Uh, great question, because I watched this unfold in New York this weekend. Um, the first thing I do is I... Uh, motor learning... We know that humans have a limited ability to process info. As a young coach, I would go through all six rotations and then we even demoed it. We would put dunce caps on and we do all this crazy stuff to helpfully get them to remember. Then the kids would be you know, 150 kids in the camp were sitting there watching and sitting there watching. And then all of a sudden, okay, let's go do that. And they remembered nothing. <laughs> Everything we just did was a waste of time. They remember zero. So because of that limited ability, you teach rotation one, you show it, you say any questions, and then you start to live serve it and play it out. And then they get back into it and they get back into it and they get back into it. And then you say, okay, everybody, we got that rotation. Now let's go rotation two. This is where we're going to stand. So you're going to do this. And I don't even really start to tell them because if you've got a developed program at all, it's really great when the more experienced players teach their peers or the younger ones rather than me. That's really good stuff because that which you teach, you learn. And when the kids are teaching their teammates, that's better. So this, and that's culture stuff that's good. So you get the seniors to explain, this is how our pattern is, you know, assuming that they had you the year before or whatever. And, and you go through each of the six rotations that way, and then you speed it up and speed it up and speed it up. Um, I spent, oh, I mean, I, I feel bad for those kids that had me as their camp coach in the 70s and 80s because I was not effective in teaching how to learn faster. I was still in some ways teaching the way I was taught. So do not do every rotation, do one and then do it. And then when it's time, rotate to the next one and then maybe even back up and remind them one time on the old one and then go forward to the third that whole uh, thing that Karch, you know, knows so well that the research shows that 
random training or just any time you don't keep doing it in a row, but start to uh, randomize it, they have to problem solve and re-remember it. Um, and that's re-remembering is the product of, or the sign of uh, real learning, not of, oh, look, they can do it today. And then they get in the gym on Saturday and they go, I don't remember <laughs> because the retention wasn't there. We're, you know, so much of the research you've put into your books and some of the stuff you've been talking with other people on podcasts is how do I retain it longer and how am I able to retain it and perform with it in high level stress competition rather than I can show it and practice, but I can't do it in the game. Yeah. It's a great way to teach it. Um, how do you handle practices when you have a variety of levels? Like you have a mix of experienced players and then beginners. Um, if it's that varied, the, I, I always pair up the, the, experienced with the beginners with that knowledge and i've taken them aside and said we will be a we're only as strong as our weakest link out on the court so we need you to help create the substitutes and these game changers that are going to come in later out of these new players and your knowledge coming from you is way more impactful than me saying it or me teaching it and so I get them to start teaching the culture early on. I get them to not only role model it, but to say, this is how we do things here. And this is the why, because the player who knows why will beat the player who knows how. And the coach who knows why is going to beat the coach who knows how. So it takes longer to get into the why, <coughs> but it is far more valuable for the long-term effect of the program. So um, beginners are lucky because they get, they don't get this old fart teach them. They get somebody that's maybe a year older than them or two years older than them. And that person is, you know, helping them as part of belonging on this team. I am here to help you. And I'm only, I remember two years ago when I was a beginner, you know? Mm. No, it's good. And I like the idea of framing it that way and actually addressing it. Otherwise, that might be the difference between a experienced player looking annoyed to be paired up with somebody and like taking on that responsibility and the challenge. That's cool. Yeah, um, that's, that's exactly what we saw Long Ping, you know, would pair up with the freshmen and, and you know, kind of guide them that this is how we do things here and, and laugh. I think it's also really important, Billy, to create I think it's really important. We are talking, to, I was working on the Cleveland Guardians today and we had, we're talking about a book that I'd recommend you and you can probably talk to Stephen, but it's called um, something about do hard stuff or, you know, do hard things. And the Guardians broke out into, we had a, a group breakout and then we came back and talked. And what I, I you know, saw in this, group discussion was this whole thing about you know belonging as part of the teamness but to make it safe to air even if you're a pro as you're learning and you know i think karch and john both do that with the national teams really well they 
they model carts, you know, <laughs> that was a terrible drill. I screwed that up. I made a mistake. He models that he errs and he accepts it. And of course, the national team considers errors opportunities to improve. And part of the process of failure, uh, su success is failure. That That's just woven into success. Failure's there. So we have to make it safe. And I do it as a tip to your listeners. I do it by the very first day saying to the kids and reinforcing it, I want you to make mistakes. I don't want you to do what you're already good at. We're here. This is a new season. I want us to push our envelope, do new things we've never done before. In doing so, I accept and I expect and I have no problem with mistakes. <clears throat> and when I was a young coach, you know, the kids would err and then their head would look at the bench and the kids would err and they'd look at me on the bench because I was the source of all knowledge <laughs> and they were afraid that they erred, oh, you're going to sub me out, which a lot of coaches do, which is, you know, not the right way to teach. John, was the book Do Hard Things by Steve Magnus? You got it. Do Hard right. Things. Cool. Thank I got to check it out. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fairly new. And uh, it was, like I said, the Guardian's staff is reading the whole thing and underlining it. And we were talking about things that apply to the uh, Major League Baseball level. Yeah. Sweet. So you mentioned... Um like encouraging servers to serve hard because eventually, you know, that's better than just kind of keeping it in. And at the same time, you mentioned like maybe not blocking at a level when it's not advantageous to you. How do you find that balance between like winning matches at your tournament this weekend and developing for the future? I'm thinking like, uh, especially one thing that comes up a lot is, tr you know, trying to get three contacts versus kind of just shoveling it over and, and winning a lot of games that way. Yeah, I mean, I think at the lower level where they don't read as well, unless you are training over the net and helping them read, you do lose. It, it's one of the unique things about our sport. At the bottom level, the worst team wins. If you're the three-hit contact team and they're the one-hit, they beat you for about six to eight weeks, I'd say, before your kids start to win that. Now, that said, it means that while we are going to train three-hit, in our scrimmages, we also have to address what our opponents do, which is hit it over on one and not spend the whole time working on three on three and then get shocked by the person who hits it over on one. You shouldn't be shocked by it. You should actually develop confidence by practicing it in practice in your six on six situation where you simply say, you guys all have a virus. Your virus is any ball that comes on your side, it goes over the net. And you guys keep playing three-hit volleyball and let's see how we do. And, you know, I think that that's, a, that is another reality that I forgot to do with young kids. I work so hard on the three-hit and then all of a sudden our opponents are working on winning and not developing the whole player. I hope, and if I didn't make it make sense, I, the only reason I don't block is because one of the higher level skills or knowledge things that coaches, I think, fail to understand is, is 
teaching those who can block, does that hitter deserve a block? Because a lot of level, the hitters don't. And at the same time, not putting a, a six rotation, everybody blocks um, system into play, but teaching blocking when they can get that high. And, you know, not even this high. I'm not going to teach blocking. And people say, oh, well, there's the soft block. I'm sorry. Nobody hits at this level a block that deserves a soft block. A soft block is when you're playing at the high level and you're late. And you're going to attempt to deflect it, you know, before it crushes to the floor. That's a soft block that has value. But nobody hits at a level that crushes it that deserves a soft block when the team, you know, could soft block. I don't teach soft blocking. I teach digging, <laughs> reading. And the, remember the old rules? You guys may have played under. You're, you're too young. You didn't play under. <laughs> and I don't mean old rules of the court different size. I'm talking about you couldn't block over the net. Yeah, before our time. You couldn't block over the net. Those we dug really well you know, because we often yeah, didn't block. We just mm -hmm. read dug. And to create five or six players that can do that um, is, a, is, is great because blocking is the hardest skill to learn and yet the easiest in some ways because all you do is you kind of just shuffle. You might say, and you can swing block too, but – you just jump and get in front of their favorite shot. Learning to be at the right place at the right time, that takes a lot of reps. And it's also a very important skill where the only skill that I can think of where you take your eye off the ball at, after a contact by the opponent because the setter, you watch the ball go as little as possible. And then you watch the intelligent thing for the rest of the time and that's incredibly important to do that and we forget to do that and we stand on boxes and we hit at kids and the only way they can learn the time is by watching the ball and now we're reinforcing watching the ball when you know great blockers transfer to the hitter as soon as possible and then learn to jump at the right place at the right time by lots of blocking lots of hitters not people on boxes but real hitters what do you think about for youth players um, coming in as a coach and having maybe some predetermined technique, predetermined fundamentals you're going to teach versus, you know, kind of this newer idea um, from the ecological side of allowing them to self-organize towards a solution that's fit for them? Yeah, great question. And I and thanks for asking it. I, you know, I I was lucky 25 years ago to, to begin working at with the Paralympic, you know, the National Paralympic Program and the Olympic Paralympic Program is what they call it. And I found there that I had to earlier on do um, self-organize the ecological dynamics and letting them do it because you don't say to a, a Marine that's missing both legs, put your right foot forward. <laughs> they have to self-organize. Right. And they do it and I can't, I'm not going to be able to say, I, you know, your stump should be a little bit more. No, it's not my call. It's their brain that knows their body. And that's where I first started realizing and learning that um, the earlier I let them 
problem solve and do things that aren't that are flexible for them the faster they were learning to to actually play the sitting game and the and its uniquenesses that are similar but you know not the same so you know, I also think that, you know, we've talked a while ago about optimal learning theory, and maybe you've had others on that have done the same, but, you know, I, at this clinic, I was helping people understand, I used to say, and probably for 15 or 20 years, you know, I, as a setter, I want you to put your right foot forward while you're at the net. And the reason is why? Well, because it's going to keep the ball off the net this way. And now I find much greater success and quicker learning of setting if i simply say the principle is you need to be open to your teammates and i let them naturally let their right foot lead <laughs> and if they put their right foot forward or they even stand side by side i go are you open to your team and i don't say foot i just say open up to your teammates and and knowing that that naturally is going to keep the ball off the net on a front set as well. So I, I tend to be a little less, I, I, my cues are very generic and, and a whole, you know, I, it's like here, I'm just going to say, since you're setting a ball, I'm going to say ball. And then I used to say, don't swan or don't pull your arms down and all these don'ts. Now I just say swan, superhero. And somebody else said marshmallow, unicorn. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty clever. You know, <laughs> and I, I just, and John, I think you were the one that taught me the contact one on serving is hamburger, no fries. And, and I loved it. And I said it, and now one of my friends in Bonaire, one of the coaches I'm working with said, well, I always said, smash the face, never the hair. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, that's great. That's hamburger, for no fries. I like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I love those examples. The external focus, the analogy gives some direction, but it still allows for interpretation, self-organization for the athlete to discover the best way that fits with them within that principle that you as a coach are guiding them with. I think that's, that's a great example. Cody shared something on his account about Nadal just recently. And it was basically it's a great quote. I saw that something, you know, where Nadal says every shot is different. <laughs> and you'd think after a million shots, I'd be have my groove or whatever. He goes, no, I don't. I, every shot is different. And, the sooner young coaches realize that, you know, we're not creating machines. We're not creating things that look like the same, but unique to each of their heights and speeds and all these other things. The, the faster we're going to get better at delivering hittable balls and hitting balls over the net. And, you know, the variance shrink shrinks. I, 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 I hope the listeners understand better than I did when I was younger, the, the variance of being a human and not a machine means that if you're coaching 13s, you guys right now, you're going to see your team step on the court and win 25, five, and then you're not going to change the lineup. You're just going to go put that same kids on the court 
and you're going to lose 525. <laughs> and you're, it has nothing to do with your coaching. It has everything to do with the fact that these are human beings still in the early part of their learning and their variance is huge. And as you get better, the variance goes narrower. But if you watch the diagrams from the world championships that they put up, you know, after games and stuff, where Micah is setting the ball is all over the place, <laughs> you know, but it has this kind of bell shaped curve. And yes, a lot of balls go to where Micah is like a third, but the other two thirds are out on the court. And that's our best players in the world. So if you're coaching 13s, the variance is really wide. <laughs> it's just really wide. Yeah, and makes sense. And it has nothing to do with your coaching or they're not wanting to be there or how they love the game or don't love the game. It's that they're kids learning to play. A rebound sport. I was frustrated because, you know, I said to these mountain bikers, I said, you guys are lucky. You just pedal. You don't have any, you know, having to read. No, they said, no, we have to read. 10 yards out because we're mountain biking and we can't look at our wheel. We have to read further out so we don't crash you know, as we go through the hole. So he said, yeah, no, we're reading way more. And I said, well, that's kind of cool to hear, but I wish, I wish the game at sometimes would let me just hold on to the ball. Like once every <laughs> 20 rallies or something, you know, <laughs> you just grab it and go, oh, okay, what the hell am I going to do? All right. <laughs> Newcomb. Yeah, Newcomb, but 13-year-olds <laughs> and 30-year-olds, nobody gets to do that. Yeah. So we have a, a few more questions for you. We wanted to pepper you with if you're up for it. Maybe give us your, your initial thoughts. Is that um, a, an idiom that I should understand that you're going to pepper me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no pepper around John Kessel. <laughs> It'll be over the net, Pepper. Um, yeah, over the net, yeah. So how do you handle a kid who doesn't seem as motivated as the rest of the team? Great question. And I talked earlier about the diagram that lets me understand why they're there, because that's one of the questions. What do they want to get out of the season? That's one of the questions. Um, so I know more than I used to know. I think the unmotivated kid isn't in the gym. The kid that's there at least is there. I mean, they they're there. They had to they had to get up they you know they're there now if their parents are pushing them and they don't want to be there i handle that as a dialogue with their parents you know there may be a better place for their your son or daughter than volleyball um let's discuss it because he or she is not working very hard here and um I sense that it's coming. They're here because you were a varsity coach or, you know, you're a player or whatever. Um, so I tend to believe in the fact that they're motivated because they're there. And I just need to find out the things that they enjoy more. And that means personally, if I really feel it and see it, I'm going to have a one-on-one. -on -one. I'm going to talk to them about what I'm seeing and am I reading this right? And over half the time I hear things like, no, John, I'm sorry. I know you're right. I'm not pushing myself as hard as I should, but um, you know, my grandmother died 
uh, two days ago and I just don't feel like being here this I go, you know what maybe uh maybe you should call your parents and and go grieve a little bit more and come back next week type stuff um everybody has this you know you, you don't know what's going on inside that kid's world and head very well uh, even when you're around them four hours a week like a normal club coach you know you really aren't uh, around them much cool and what do you think about uh thoughts on penalties and consequences in youth sports i still see you know across mm -hmm. the gym like people running lines and teaching discipline <laughs> yeah you know i just i it's probably if i could change one thing to make our to make sport more fun it would be helping these coaches realize they're being fooled by regression in the mean fooled by randomness and fooled by um the traditions that have come in that seem to think that punishment is a, an effective way to learn and you know it 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 can motivate you fear but it's a really horrible compass as to what direction i should be going and i think if you go and look at a lot of the research that's happening in the armed forces that what you're seeing is that physical conditioning which is important in the armed forces and in volleyball and whatever you know, Anson Dorrance called it homework. He never did it in his gym, in his on his field. Um, but I've seen now like the snipers who when they finally hit the 800 yard shot and they get their award, then they do pushups as part of their um, award for like to get stronger. Yeah, to, to, because you got to be strong. And so now you have time not to shoot, but you can be stronger. Hmm. Um, I, I, I just, if you're a youth coach and you believe they're making a mistake on purpose, then that's a discussion you have to have with that athlete. But if you're a youth coach and you see your kids not moving, um, not reading well, not uh, hustling, I would say you first have to look at the way you train and the way you coach that those kids are not failing in front of their friends and family on purpose. And please also remember that in every match played in the 125 years of volleyball since its creation, 50% of the teams lose. And if you're punishing them because of losing in any way shape or form you're going to be kind of miserable for most of your coaching career how do you think youth coaches should handle playing time um thinking of examples like uh should the better players play more if someone missed the practice should they be punished um how, how should they handle those sorts of scenarios great question um at the youngest level, countries that are smart have rules of enforced equal playing time, like Canada and Brazil, where the first game 
you have six. The second game, it's the other six. And in the third set, if you need it, you then can play whoever you want. The first team, mix it up or whatever. Um, because of my desire to have development at the youngest level, I'm going to say 12 to 13, um, I'm going to go with saying to the parents, you know, this is how we're going to be playing nearly 50-50. The art of my coaching is how do I win knowing that I'm going to be putting in two different lineups for two different sets? So where do I rotate the dial? How do I get my second group best server? Do I mix it equal strong and, and weak or do I go strong then weak or whatever? Um, I, I purposely say in advance, we're going to be playing, you know, your kid's going to play at least 40, if not 50% of the time. And then it's my job to figure out how to win with that philosophy. Um, as you go up, you know, I think the most, uh, the most viewed blog I ever had, I think I got, three four thousand likes in the first two weeks or whatever was a blog that i believe in which the title was something in effect of you're paying for practice not playing time and what i attempted to help parents understand is that while in my belief of playing in front of you and in playing uh, in front of grandma and whatever, everyone will play in every tournament that at the level we're at at nationals or whatever, um, we're not going to be playing 50-50. Um, and where I came from on that is I showed the amount of money they're paying and the amount of hours that they get in training versus the amount of, and contacts, their son or daughter gets in practice. So if we go back to that first hour of ribbon, we're getting thousands of contacts, which is how you learn by doing. To in the competition, when there's six on the bench, six on the court, the other team has got six and six or 10 and 10 or whatever it is, the amount of contacts the average player outside of the setter is making is some, you know, 150 or something in a tournament, which we can knock off in an hour of practice. And so that's why the title is you're paying for um, practice and not for playing time. You got to balance it out again with your coaching philosophy. And at this lower level, I still work hard to play everybody more because I winning and losing is not that important at the 12 or 13 year old level. You know, initial ability does not correlate to final ability. And, and so I want to keep as many kids loving the game as long as possible. So when I'm out at the 17, 18 level that I'm more talking about, that's where it starts to change. Um, you know, Cody hasn't played uh, a, a, a point in this, uh, the two first matches in, in the world championships. He's there in a different role. And 
if you didn't pick up on it, I said game changer. That's a, I think that's a carchism that, you know, he doesn't call the subs subs. He calls them game changers. And I, I really like that. Uh, Sorry. That, that's the role. Are you calling up the coach complaining all the time for Cody? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think John's heard a peep from me or Mike wall or anybody. I don't think they've heard anything from me. <laughs> I just get a, turn it on at 1230 tomorrow afternoon and hopefully see him play. And, you know, I was proud to see him beat Brazil and Brazil and start the entire match and never step off the court. And I think they were the first team to beat Brazil and Brasilia in ever, you know, in history, Brazil doesn't lose in Brasilia and the USA team with Cody starting beat Brazil and Brasilia. You know? That's cool. a really thing as a parent. Well, any other tips on that topic on heading off parent issues or navigating that fun part of coaching? Yeah, you know, I, it, that's a really, really good question. I do two things. One, and, and you know, maybe if they're not confident, they can watch a couple of your your uh, podcasts on motor learning or whatever. But I literally spend an hour to an hour and a half with my parents, each team that I've ever had in the last 20 years, I didn't do it before, but teaching them the science that we know today of motor learning, so they understand why we might look different. What was Rob Browning called it? We're going to lose the warm up, but we're going to win the match. <laughs> because a lot of teams warm up in this coach controlled, precise, boom, 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 boom way. And then that's not how we're going to warm up. We're going to warm up like the game more, you know, or we're going to warm up with two versus zero. And then during our five minutes, we're going to have balls coming over the net. We're going to pass that, hit them. And I think you guys have seen, I watched the men's national team um, in a little clip. What, Maybe it's the impact of YouTube and this blog and podcasts and stuff, but traditionally, most of the listeners here, when you say to the kids, let's hit, um, you will see them stand out of bounds, throw the ball to the setter, set it, hit, and run underneath the net. What is the national team doing now at the, you know, today in Poland when they're warming up in their practice, what do they do? They do the beach thing, I'm going to call it, which yep. is what you hit at them and they dig it, set it and hit it. But that's a huge tradition breaker because when I was in New York, the kids were throwing the ball of the setter and standing out of bounds. And, you know, we're standing on the court, digging it. And usually it's digging, you know, they're not being nice and, serving it or hitting it to you for a foreign pass they're doing some chop shot or whatever you got to dig it and scramble and set it and hit it that's because of beach beach never did any throw set hit shit you know but i think that seeing that evolution uh, makes me feel like some things are actually changing and i do that so the parents understand that our balls are going to come over the net and we're not going to be standing there like this, throwing beautiful things for the kids to hit and warm up. 
we're going to be seeing balls come over and we're going to shank some of them and not hit. But that's why we lose the warm up, but win the match. So we actually, uh, one of our, our wonderful patrons, Craig Hill, had a question kind of in line with that. He was asking, have you ever been transparent with younger athletes about why you use a specific teaching tech technique? I was wondering whether letting them see behind the curtain had good, bad, or indifferent results. I go all the way down to 12 and teach teach the core stuff of this is how we learn faster. This is how we learn more effectively, as in remember and not just look good in practice, but not in performance, which is what a lot of coaches do. They practice for practice, and especially in volleyball. I mean, it's ugh, painful. But I, it's the, using the curtain idea. No, I absolutely help them understand. And I'll even say, here's a great example, I think. So... I want you to, you to the players, to be better at keeping score and do more scoring with me so that we're never nervous about the scoreboard. And, you know, we can do wash scoring, we can pretend we're 20, 24 and see how many times we come back or all these variations of scoring in my games or in my drills or drills. That said, what I want you to do, kids, is if I forget, because I will, to tell you how you can, how we're going to score this drill, or how do you defeat the other teams, if you're this group against this group or whatever, how do you win? I want you to say, uh, coach, uh, how, how do we win this one? And that's what happens over the course, because I show them that we're going to be competitive as part of training. They find, they get ready and they go, uh, coach, how do we, how do we win this one? And I go, oh, I forgot to tell you how to keep score on this one. And then I immediately either say, how do you want to score it? Or I'll say, this is how we're going to score it. And so the winner is going to be the one who does this instead of this, or this score versus that score or whatever. And they go, okay. And they go back and play because I'm making them comfortable being scored on and competitive. And that, that, that's, a, I think, an easier thing for guys to do. And it has to be kind of taught to the gals that how do I train, how do I compete? And then step off the court and be a prom queen. You know, I mean, that, I'm an athlete. Athletes compete. You're in the gym on a court, so it's okay to compete. It's okay to beat up on your teammates, you might say. If you remember the Anson Doran stuff, Training Soccer Champions has some great stuff in that old book, but when he had, uh, what's her name, uh, April Heinrich came out for the team as a freshman, a kid from Denver, who ended up being the Olympic coach and, you know, the star of the Olympic team and blah, blah, blah. The seniors three weeks into practice were able in one-on-ones, two-on-twos, three-on-three, was just ripping through everybody as a freshman. The seniors came into Anson's office and said, what are you going to do about April? Because she was just hyper-competitive. And you remember what his answer was? Cloner. Clone her. <laughs> that's a great line. <laughs> you know, and that's what we need to do more, even with younger kids in the gym. But when we step off the court, 
we don't see that happen. So I'd say a little bit in closing or in this closing of this topic, that Chinese proverb of winning and losing are temporary, but friendships last forever. My kids, as we did with Long Ping, who beat us and then came to live with us type stuff, my kids still go find the really competitive, you know, kid that beat them and spend some time with them. Get to know them. You know, I don't, I feel like we demonize the opponent way too much instead of just saying, wow, that team is really good. I'd like to go learn from them <laughs> and, and pick up on some of their passion for the game. Cool. And we have one final question from patron Tracy Waite. He asks, is there any discussion of making the rules for volleyball consistent across the different ages and settings, club, high school, college, international, all have unique rules and even different volleyballs? And the answer is, Tracy, those questions have been happening since volleyball became international in 1948. Um, there are are met, there are every year there are discussions between the powers that be of high school, USA, FIVB referees and that are US and college. And the chart that any that uh, Pavo puts out that you can get, I think maybe from the ABCA that shows the rule comparison chart. If you've never seen it downloaded, it's worth having. Um, because I remember, I remember do, teaching something at high school that was okay in USA volleyball, and it, it was illegal in high school. Something I think it was, oh, you can't fake block. Maybe they've changed it. I hope they have. But I was teaching my kids the setter. If it was an overpass, the the back row setter to go up and block, and at the last second, pull her hands down on those darn overpasses, and. They blew the whistle. And I said, she didn't block. She didn't. And they said, you can't even fake block. And I That's went, crazy. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so it's either still there or else it's, but I didn't know that. And so now I'm saying, I can say to you, Tracy, that it's better than it was, but it's not as good as I hope it should be ultimately. I mean, how long did it take for us to change from rally this is the weird part about America. <laughs> you know, uh, 96, 98, we changed to rally scoring in a big thing that was kind of fun to be part of. That year, every high school in the world started to use rally scoring. Every university, world university games teams, all this stuff, they all used rally scoring except for America. It took us three years to get it collegiately, and it took five years, four years to get it finally to take place at the high school level. And of course, it's impacted the sport greatly. The matches don't go on as long. We're not playing 13-year-old volleyball to 4 a.m. in the morning because, because it's side out, side out, side out, side out, side out. And that's part of the reason the change was made. It wasn't made just for television. It was made so that, you know, my plea was 
we need to get we we play two out of three most of the world plays three out of five and with 60 percent of the games going three their problem that they're still struggling with is how do you fill in the gap when it's a two-hour block and it goes three and three and three you know what are you doing there when we play two out of three at the high school and or club level the matches are kind of like an hour and that's been what happens and you know it's really made it made our tournaments not go till the middle of the morning the next day but they're working on it trace every every year well cool john it's uh it's always a pleasure having you on um thank you for all the info and if listeners want to check out more i know gold medal squared has some cool stuff from you so they should go check that out too yeah they absolutely should there's some new content that that is applying primarily to the 14 under level that which is your pipeline that feeds your <laughs> who you are at the higher level for sure. And half of USA Volleyball's membership is 14 and under. So, you know, those of you that are down at that level are, are really making a difference to the future of the sport. So thanks for coaching and thanks for the chance to talk to you guys. Always great to see you. Thanks again for everything you do. Come to pumahills.com, check out the website, and you guys are welcome anytime. Gotta do it. Can't wait.